0: Welcome to Orchard Community Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We are glad you are here to learn, grow, and deepen your relationship with Christ. This week's message is brought to you by Pastor Matt Hoyt. I read this story recently. A woman writes, A while back, my husband and I signed up for one of those fitness boot camp classes. It was pricey, $300 a person for 10 sessions, but we thought it would be worth it. At the start of the first class, our instructor, Tara, does a quick roll call, and she frowns and says, hmm, Susie isn't here. That's a shame because attending the first class is pretty crucial. Uh, I go over uh, some important techniques. Well, I'll give her a call, and we'll see later what happened. So at the start of the second class, Susie once again is a no-show. Someone says to Tara, our instructor, asks if she'd gotten a hold of her. And Tara said, oh yeah, she told me that she got super busy last week and was unable to make it, but she swore that she'd be here today. I reminded her that she spent $300 on this class, and if she wanted to postpone it and take another class, she could do so. Well, the third class knows Susie. The fourth class knows Susie, and so on and so on. And she never actually showed up to any of the 10 sessions, despite the fact that Tara, the instructor, had bent over backwards to try and accommodate her. Susie always had an excuse. I got busy. I forgot. I got stuck in traffic. And the woman writes, as for me and my husband, We enjoyed the class so much that we signed up for the next session. And guess what? Susie did too. (laughs) And do you want to know what happened? Exactly the same thing. She never showed up to even one of the 10 sessions. And she writes, well, I guess some folks must just have money to burn. Well, the title of my message for this morning is Just Do It. It's the Nike slogan. And the point is that it's easy for us to think a lot about good things that we should do. It's easy for us to talk a lot about good things that we should do. Maybe even make plans about all the good things that we can do. But at some point, we actually have to just do it for it to amount to anything, for it to really matter. Well, this morning we are continuing on in our series of messages on the book of James called Real Faith for Regular People. And as we have noted, James is a a practical book. Um, It really is about living our faith in the real life situations that we face every day. And it has a down-to-earth approach that I think, resonates well with regular people like you and me. But as we've talked about, James isn't just a practical book. It's also a very spiritual book because it teaches a spirituality that we live. It's not about going off to some far-off mountaintop to find mysterious wisdom from an ancient sage. And it's not that we need to somehow become some uh, (laughs) superhero saint of the faith No, James is about living an organic spirituality that can grow up right here in the lives of regular people as we go about all the things that we face in our daily lives. Now, in the first two weeks of this series, James touched on living our faith in the face of trials, those hard things in life that we don't bring on ourselves that just happen, and also living our faith in the face of temptations, or in in many cases, the trials that temptations bring that we sort of brought on ourselves when we give into temptation. Well, today the focus is on the fact that real faith, real faith for regular people, real faith takes follow through. It needs some follow through. It can't just be something that we talk about. Faith can't just be something that we think about or plan about doing one day. At some point, we have to actually just do it. We actually have to seek to begin to be obedient to living God's way obedient to God's word that's our topic for today. So pray with me. Loving God, we pray, Lord, that you would really speak with power to us today as you really cut to the heart of a common problem we have, which is good intentions and no follow through. And this is especially important, Lord, when it comes to our faith, because often the difference between real meaningful faith and faith that that isn't real and doesn't mean anything is whether or not we really can just do it and begin to live for you. So we pray, Lord, that you'd speak to each one of us, in the ways that we need to hear about this subject. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to begin, actually, with the verse from last week. This is James 1.18. It's the last verse of the passage for last week. And I want you to recall that as that passage ended, James was talking about how God gives us birth through the word of truth. He has chosen to give us birth through the word of truth. And what James was talking about is our spiritual birth or or our rebirth as spiritual people. It's the same thing that Jesus talks about in John 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. And he says, you need to be born again by faith. So that's what James is talking about, this spiritual birth that we have. And James pointed to this new birth and the new people that we become when we are born as people of faith, as a source of strength in overcoming temptation. That's what he was talking about. He's saying, hey, you're facing temptation, but you've been born as spiritual people, and that's a source of your strength to, to fight that temptation with, with God's help. Well, as James did that, he tied that new birth, you'll notice, to God's word. New birth through God's word. And the reason he does that is because our new birth of spiritual people is intimately tied to God's word. How is it that we come to a spiritual rebirth? Well, we hear God's word. Someone proclaims it. We hear the gospel message and we respond to it and our lives are changed. So our new birth as a spiritual person and God's word are, are, are intimately linked together. So now with this passage, James explains that this new birth, as a new person that we've become, well, it's something that should be evident in us. It should make a difference. It should change who we are and how we're living this life. It should be evident in our conduct. Really, it should be evident in our obedience to live by God's word. Because if we've been born by that word to a spiritual birth, then we should be people seeking to live by that word. So that's kind of the transition between these two passages. And that's what James is going to talk about today, living by that word. So let's jump into our passage for today. This is James chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 20. And James starts in this way. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, And slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So James begins in verse 19, and he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. And that phrase, take note of this, in Greek, it has the same kind of feeling as if you were to to be about to say something, and you were to go, listen, it's a signal that you're going to say something important. So James begins here, and the first thing he does is says, hey, listen up, because I've got something important that I'm going to say. And then James gets into it. And he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But the way that I think we should really hear these words is this way. that is, James says, be quick to listen, because often you are not. Be slow to speak, because often you are not. And be slow to become angry, because again, often you are you are not. That's the way that we need to hear these words. Now, quick to listen. That phrase implies someone who is ready to listen and really ready to take to heart what is being said to them. It's a, a disposition of openness to what's being said to us. There is a constant call in Scripture for us to listen To God, you find it again and again and again. In fact, one of the phrases that Jesus is fond of saying in the New Testament is whoever has ears to hear, let them listen or hear. But often, the truth is that we don't listen, right? We don't listen to God. We don't listen to other people because we think we know best. Why listen to other people if I've already got the answers, right? Because we value our opinion most. Because we only want to do things in our own way. Now, there are other times when we do listen, but we're kind of lazy listeners. We don't put a lot of effort into it, a lot of energy into it. And so we don't listen well. And when we don't listen well, what happens is we miss stuff. And when we miss stuff, that makes us hard to teach It makes us hard to work with. It makes us hard to deal with, hard to live with. You ever live with somebody that doesn't listen? None of you have that problem, right? (laughs) It's a very difficult thing when we are people who don't listen or don't listen well. And that's probably why James began this very passage by saying what? Listen up, people. Because it's a challenge for us. Now, the second thing that he says is be slow to speak. And slow to speak has a sense of humility to it. Slow down, brother. Give a listen. It has a sense of patience to it. It really implies let's try to understand what this other person is saying before we start running at the mouth. It has that definite feeling to it. So that, so that when we do speak, we can be thoughtful We can be careful in what we say, but so often we are quick to speak, aren't we? And we're rash in what we say and careless and it does damage. And sometimes we're quick to speak, mostly because we like the sound of our own voice better than everyone else's. Well, the scripture warns us repeatedly about the danger of careless words. For example, Proverbs twenty nine twenty says, Do you see someone speak in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. James himself is actually going to talk more about taming the tongue in chapter 3 and the importance of that. So finally, James mentions anger. He says, be slow to become angry. Um, anger can cloud our judgment Anger can lead us to do and to say hurtful things. In James calling us to be slow to anger, he's calling us to be like God here. God is repeatedly spoken of in the scriptures as slow to anger. So he's saying be spiritual like God, be slow to anger. And we need to remember that Jesus calls us not to be angry with one another. Now, occasionally we we may get angry and, and it's not that we can never get angry. Jesus is saying just don't stay there. Don't. We're not supposed to harbor anger and burn with anger for one another. We need to get rid of the anger we have. We need to resolve the anger we have. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, meaning it needs to be dealt with quickly because it's uh, not a good thing to have. So with all three of these things, James is calling us to not be a kind of reckless person who doesn't have any grounding, who doesn't listen, who shoots their mouth off and burns with anger. James is saying, let's not be like that. And in verse 20, he points to where these things lead. He says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not put us on the path where God would want us to go. It doesn't lead to right living. And James could just as easily have said, reckless speech or not listening here. He could have said all three. He just picks anger because it's sort of the top of the hit parade here. But none of these things lead to the righteousness that God so desires from us. And and here is James' point. He is saying, look, it is really easy for us as human beings to get tangled up in all kinds of behaviors that are counter to God's word. But as believers, and that's who he's writing to, as people who say that we believe in the Lord, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Our life is not supposed to be characterized by being tangled up in all of these things that are counter to God's word. So James gives two pieces of advice here in verse 21, particularly if we are realizing that maybe we are a little tangled up in these things. The first thing he says is get rid of not just anger, but he says get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. James in short says, hey, it's time to take the trash. Take it out and put it by the curb. It's time to take stock of yourself and to say, look, are there things in me that are going on that are counter to the word of God that are not good that I need to put an end to, that I need to get rid of? And it takes some effort to do this well. It takes some effort for us to see past our blind spots because we all have them. These places where we are being disobedient to God's word and somehow we have come to a place of kind of accepting that as though it's not a problem. So James calls us to do the hard work of recognizing those things and getting rid of them. But even more, James says this. He says, we need to humbly accept the word planted in us which can save us. James is saying, you need to... To remember and accept the fact that you were born spiritually by the word. And God's word has been planted in you. And it's a powerful word. It can save you if you will live in to that word. In fact, the word implanted there, it also means inborn. And it harkens back to that whole when you were born, it was by the word. So James is saying believers born of faith are supposed to live in obedience to the word. That's what we are supposed to be about. That's supposed to be the thing that grounds us in this life so that we're not just kind of floating around having to decide, well, what's the right thing to do over here? What's the right thing to do over here? I know because I live in obedience to God's word. It's how we know what to do. It's how we know how we should be. And yet, far too often, that is not the case with us, is it? And we're entangled in these things that are not becoming of the people of God. Well, let's look at verses 22 through 25. Because James really cuts to the heart of his message here. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So James moves to the heart of his message here, and it's do not merely listen to the word, but do it. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So let's unpack this. First of all, James says, listen. You need to listen to the word. And and he says it that way for a reason. Because in the time that James was writing, most people could not read. And most people, even if they could read, did not have a lot of access to books. So for that reason, most people, the place that they encountered God's word was in church where it was read aloud. That they heard it. Their primary way of interacting with God's word was to hear it read aloud. Now we, in our time, we have a lot more ability to encounter God's word through reading reading it, and studying it on our own. But whatever the case is, we end up in the same place in that we all need to listen to what it says. Soren Kierkegaard, the great philosopher and theologian, he wrote this. He said, when you read God's word, you must constantly be saying to yourself, it is talking to me and about me. We need to listen Like that. When I was in college, I was up in Santa Barbara at Westmont College, a Christian school, and I had a a good friend of mine, and he used to write his own name into the Bible um, on verses that he felt particularly applied to him. God opposes the proud and lifts up the humble, John. He would put his name in there on those particular verses where he felt like, man, when I read this verse, I know God is talking about me because this is something that I struggle with and it's very much in line with how we should read the Bible. We need to listen like that. But James is also really pointed here because the next thing he says is, hey, do not merely listen to the word. He's clear that listening is not enough, and if we think that it is, if we think that listening is enough, James says, oh no, think again, because if you think that listening is enough, you are deceiving yourself, and he uses that literal word, you're deceiving yourselves, and in all honesty, this kind of deception is going on on a massive scale in American churches millions and millions of people every week going to church on Sunday and maybe to Bible study or a small group during the week and then where they hear the word of God and then mostly disregard it as they go about living their lives um, and what they do. And sadly, we Christians often don't look any different than the world around us. And that should trouble us. You know, though, it's not a new problem. Jesus actually encountered this very problem. In Luke chapter uh, 6, verse 46, Jesus was talking to some of the people and he said this. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? That is a great question. It's a great question for each of us to ask ourselves if we have the courage to do that. Why, Jesus, do I call you Lord, Lord, and simply choose not to do what you say in A, B, C, D, E, F, G number of ways? Why do I, how can I continue to say that you're my Lord? Why do I continue to say that you're my Lord and just act with flagrant disobedience? Now, in contrast to this, James says the most practical thing. Remember James is practical? He says the most obvious thing. And it's funny because it doesn't hit that way. It kind of hits as a profound thing, but it's not. It's super, super uh, practical and obvious. He says, hey, when you listen to the word, the goal is to actually do what it says. I know, it sounds really deep and profound, right? It's not. It's actually pretty simple. But it runs deep. And here's why it runs deep. Because Christianity is a lived faith. It's not just about what we believe up here. It is just as much about how we live that faith. And here's a key point that we need to grasp. So much of the spiritual depth, so much of the spiritual richness of Christianity can only be accessed, only be accessed by living it, by living in obedience to God's word. You know, there are things about baseball, for example, that you are never going to understand unless you actually go out and play it. You could read every book in the world. You could learn every baseball statistic. But there are things, there's a richness, there's a wonderfulness to baseball or soccer or whatever it is that you will never really experience until you go out and throw a ball around and get involved in it. And Christianity is very similar to that, only it's much deeper. There is a richness, there is depth that we will never experience until we begin to put these words into practice. And there are a lot of people People in this world, people who call themselves Christian and yet scratch their head in their silent moments and they wonder, why is the faith that I have not very powerful? Why is the faith that I have, it's just, it's not as rich as I had hoped it would be. And I've been going to church for a long time and I've been doing Bible study and, and somehow it's just not, it's not what it should be for me. Now, a lot of times in that moment, you know what people do? Point the finger outward. Well, the worship is just not touching my heart. The, 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 the teaching is just not feeding me. This, this that, and the other thing. Now, those things may be true in some cases, and, and, and that, that, may be, that may be a real part of the equation. But a lot of the time, that is not the central issue. A lot of the time, the central issue is I'm not experiencing a rich and powerful faith because I'm living in disobedience to God, and I'm unwilling to examine that truth about myself, and it's robbing me of so much of what my faith could be, and I don't even know it. Now with verses 23, 23 and 24, James offers an illustration to highlight the importance of not just listening to the word, but of doing it. He says this, he says, it's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What would you say about someone who did that? You'd say, there's a problem. <laughs> there might be something wrong with that dude, Right? What James is doing is is he's, he's giving an illustration of something that is ridiculous. And his point is it's ridiculous in the same way that listening to God's word with no intention of seeking to do what it says is utterly ridiculous. It's missing the whole point of listening to the word in the first place. Why bother listening to the word if you have no intention of actually doing what it says? I'll tell you why. There's a reason for a lot of people. It's so that we can play a little game with ourselves. And it's called I'm a good person or I'm a good Christian because I go to church. I went to church and I listened to the word and I feel good about me, maybe even a little self-righteous. But, you know, doing all that stuff that they talk about, it's kind of hard. So I'm going to find every excuse under the sun not to actually do it. But I'm going to go to church every week so I can feel good about me and a little self-righteous. It's a game that we play a lot of times that leads nowhere, doesn't lead to spiritual growth or maturity or to a faith that's satisfying. And it does not fool God even for a minute. Now, I think there are an awful lot of us who, in fact, do come and seek to listen to the word with the intent of doing what it says. The problem is, a lot of times, that as good as our intentions are, somewhere along the line, We don't always get to actually doing it. We don't get to the actual obedience part. And oftentimes when that's the case, we are full of all kinds of excuses, just like Susie who could never make it to boot camp, you know. But good intentions aren't enough. Nice talk is not enough. At some point, you have to actually start seeking to do it. You have to get serious about seeking to live in obedience to God's word. Maybe to make the decision for the first time to start doing it. Maybe making the decision for the first time to seek to raise your level of obedience to something that is much more in line with the mature believer that you ought to be or that think of yourself as being. And to live and press in on that obedience, seeking to grow more and more each day. Now, one of our biggest excuses is, I'm going to get around to that. It's delay. But if you truly are submitting to God, you don't delay. You don't say, you know, God, I think I'm going to start being obedient tomorrow. Like, that's not a real statement. That's just an excuse that we're not going to follow through on. Delay is just an excuse to avoid submitting our will and seeking to be obedient to God. And there's a real trap in it. Paul Tripp points this out. He's a, a, a pastor and a speaker. He says, when you delay your response to God, there's a, there's a trap. This is what he says. You've eased your conscience when actually it needs to be troubled, You're starting to feel troubled. I haven't done it. And then you go, well, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Oh, okay, it's all okay, but I'm not really going to do it tomorrow. I need to be troubled. And then he says this. He says, delay is just disobedience in a tuxedo. (laughs) I love that. And his point is delay looks good to us, looks reasonable, but it's not. It's something bad dressed up in dressing that makes it look good, but it's not good. And we can be deceived by it. So in contrast to all of this, James offers another example. He says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they are doing. If we do what the word says, not flawlessly, none of us is flawless, but if we endeavor to do what the word says and we keep at it, we will be blessed Now, James is not teaching a works righteousness. James is not saying that by doing good things, we make ourselves worthy. Not at all. What he is saying is this, and this is really important for us. He's saying that real faith and disobedience don't go together. Real faith and disobedience don't go together. And a lot of times what we like to say is, well, I'm kind of obedient. I did good over here. I can't remember who it was, but it was a really profound day when some pastor was speaking and they said, you know, partial obedience is still disobedience. Like if you if you tell your kid to like clean your room and they're like, well, I cleaned that half. You're like, yeah, not what I asked, right? Partial obedience is still disobedience. And that's James' point. What he's saying is that real faith and disobedience don't go together. Now, not again that any of us follow God's word perfectly There's always grace, but we do need to seek to really be people who are living in obedience to God's words, God's word. Now, James also offers that the law gives us freedom. That's the opposite of what a lot of people would think. In fact, a lot of people reject God's uh, truth because they'd say, hey, it's just a bunch of rules that I don't want to follow because they rob me of my perceived freedom. Because we have this idea that freedom means having no uh, boundaries, that I can do literally whatever I want. Forget the fact that a bunch of that stuff's like horribly bad for me to do. I just think that that's what freedom is. But actually, the study of freedom really says something different. Counterintuitively, we often experience the most freedom within boundaries. It's a weird concept. They did this study of children, and they were studying how much they use the play area they're given, and they found that children who have a play area that's fenced in use all of it, and children who have a play area that's not fenced in stay huddled together in one small portion of it. Because they noticed something about human nature and it's that the fence, the boundary gave a safety and a security to use all of the space. And without the boundary, there was a fear of all of what was out there and what it could lead to. There's also a paralysis in all the choices that we can have. There's a TED talk about that that says fish need a bowl and so do we. You know, we need some kind of parameters on our life or we just get stifled in utter paralysis So, counterintuitively, we often experience the most freedom within boundaries. And in the same way, within God's boundaries, we find the freedom to truly be who God has called us to be. That's what James is talking about. Let's look at the last two verses. This is 26 and 27. James says this he says, Those who consider themselves religious. And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless in this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself free from being polluted by the world. So James in verse 26 follows up his earlier statement. Earlier he said, be slow to speak. And here he adds to that saying, those who consider themselves religious should keep a tight rein on their tongue or they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So we've talked about the scripture clearly calls us to to keep a, a tight rein on our tongue. But how does that make our religion worthless if we don't? That's kind of an interesting statement. Well, I think James would say this. Since you know that the word of God calls you to control your mouth, if you're out there not doing that, you are listening to God's word and not doing what it said. You're doing exactly what I just said. And you've got to ask yourself at that point, is my faith real? Is is my faith really a thing? Or am I playing that little game where I just hear the word and feel good about it, but have no intent on ever doing it? Am I living, you know, am I living in that place? That's, I think, the question that James is asking us. Again, of course, we all make mistakes. There's always grace. But if our intent isn't for God, that's not really our intent, then what is our faith? If we're listening and we have no plan to, to, to obey it, then what is our faith? Is it a faith at all? So with verse 27, the final verse, James gives us an explanation of what unacceptable religion looks like in God's eyes. And he, and he really does this with two kind of example statements. And the first example statement is to look out for orphans and widows in their distress. And in a nutshell, what James is talking about there is that real faith means that we care about the people around us. We care about the world around us. We take care of other people, especially vulnerable people. And we know that. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. A massive portion of the faith that we claim to live means that we should care about the people around us. The world around us, that that should be a part of how we live. The second thing James says keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And this here is James again saying, You're supposed to live in obedience to God's word. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Not out there entangled in all of that stuff that he's been talking about the moral corruption of the world. That's not what you're supposed to be about. You're supposed to be seeking to live in obedience to God's word. And what does God's word tell you? Well, it tells you to love God. It tells you to love your neighbor. I mean, James is really economical with what he's saying, but he is encapsulating the faith really briefly in these two examples. Care about people, follow God's word is his brief synopsis of the faith. So Michelangelo um, had a brilliant career at the end of his life, he had one last work. It was called the Runandani Pietra, and he spent the last 10 years of his life working on it. It was a sculpture. And Giorgio uh, Vasari was a contemporary of his, and he wrote about Aunt Michelangelo's Um, last work, and he said this. He said, Michelangelo ended up breaking the block for the sculpture as he was carving it, probably because it was full of impurities and so hard that sparks flew from his chisel as he sculpted. The statue would have been disregarded, but a servant saved it, and it survives to this day. And it bears the marks of Michelangelo's chisel, but it just doesn't have the beauty of his earlier works because this piece of stone was just apparently super difficult to deal with. And, you know, what happened? Why, why is the master not able, in this case, to bring the same level of beauty from this stone as another? And there was another sculptor, uh, Lorenzo Dominguez, who, who talked about what he called the dilemma and the unpredictability of working with stone. And he put it this way. He said, the stone wants to be a stone. The artist wants it to be art, and therein lies this dilemma. And so the same dilemma really, I think, exists for those of us who are works of God's hand in an attempt to free the image of Christ in us. We're we're made in the image of God, and in in God's attempts to to free that image uh, of Christ in us, God begins to chip away at everything in us when we are seeking to be obedient, God is chipping away at everything in us that that isn't of Jesus. And the stone of our lives, well, it either submits to the chipping or it resists. And if it submits, the features of Jesus begin to emerge from our lives. If it submits long enough, Jesus himself begins to emerge, Christ in me. If, however, it resists and it continues to resist, there will come a day when God will let the stone be a stone. C.S. Lewis put it this way. C.S. Lewis said, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, Okay, have it your way. And for people born of the word, may we be those who say, thy will be done, and seek to live in obedience to God's word. Amen. Pray with me. Loving God, we confront this morning the inconsistency of our lives, that even as people of faith, so often we find that we're not living in obedience to your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to do the things that James calls us to do, to, to get rid of these things, to be people who don't just listen to your word, but who actually seek to put it into practice. Lord, may we do our very best, and where we fall short, and we will, may we always remember that we also have grace. In Jesus' name, amen.